From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcasts in Place, Youth Stories from Quarantine, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're bringing you stories, interviews, and audio diaries from teenagers and young adults stuck indoors without anything else to do. I'm at me producer, Riley Taylor, recording this on my iPhone in my closet, since the main at me studio is closed for the time being. August 20th, 2020 marks the first day that Anchorage School District students will be back in session since March due to the coronavirus pandemic. But since cases have been rising here in Alaska, ASD is starting the semester off the way the last one was forced to end with online classes. Atme senior producer Daisy Carter, who is now a sophomore at UAA, attended the film, audio, and video production classes at King Technical High School a few years ago. It's where she learned a lot of the skills that she's brought to her work here at Atme. But this year, that course is much different than when she was there. It's one thing to learn math or history over Zoom, but a hands-on craft like filmmaking doesn't seem as easy to learn remotely. So Daisy called up her former teacher, Jeremy Blake, who is entering his third year teaching the course, they spoke about the adjustments he had to make in switching to online learning, how the pandemic has affected students' lives and education, and how the film industry is trying to work safely. They spoke over Zoom on July 29th, 2020. students' reactions to COVID-19 before the shutdown? It was definitely something that kind of came up. I don't, I don't ever remember talking to a student that had expressed any severe concern over it uh, up until spring break. Spring break for the schools uh, was the big switch over. I mean, teachers and students alike, a lot of us went into spring break, didn't even think twice about it. We had had uh, we had had a lot of students and staff get sick at the beginning of at, at the end of the first semester and at the beginning of the f- second semester. The Anchorage Daily News did an article talking about how like up to a third of students and staff were out sick uh, at any given point, and it was like it was kind of something that was like, wow, this is a really bad season for flu. But none of us, I don't think it was of any concern to us. It was just like that's business as usual. You know, um, it was something that was far away. It was happening across the ocean. And by the time we were getting geared up for spring break, all this stuff, all the shutdowns, the hunker in place, all that stuff started happening. Um, So I didn't really get a good chance to interact with my students uh, one-on-one or in a classroom setting and get there and kind of really get their feel um, about how they felt about it. Um, what was your personal reaction to COVID-19 before the shutdown? I knew about it. I saw it on the news and this is not the first, uh, I guess, I guess this is the first pandemic I've been through, but this is not the first outbreak that I've experienced. Um, I remember going to Ireland, I believe it was 2005, 2006, to visit some friends, and we were still in the wake of the bird flu. 
Um, and there was a lot of, like, there, there were people that were like, we're not serving chicken, we're not doing this. And that was kind of interesting to see that kind of reaction happening uh, in a different country, because I'd never experienced that in the United States. It was always like, oh, that's happening over there. Or we have the responses and we're monitoring everything. So there's no way, you know, a contagion like that could get loose in the United States for whatever reason. Um, but to see another country dealing with it. And I remember, I think it was SARS when they had an outbreak of that. I remember reading articles and seeing just pictures of you know entire streets of people wearing masks and I was like oh wow that's that's pretty serious and I think that was the first time that I remember seeing it and I've seen it happen other times but um nothing like that leading up to the shutdown I don't remember I don't remember feeling like this was going to be some big drastic life-changing thing it was like oh there's another virus on loose it's you know that sucks too bad, you know, too bad for wherever that's happening. But yeah, uh, the speed and the ferocity of which this kind of encircled the globe uh, really made a lot of people just stop dead in their tracks and, and just change everything, try to change everything overnight. When did the administration do that schools were going to be shut down? The school district... Um, knew that something was up. Um, they knew that there were there were cases rising in the lower 48 in certain regions and they were rising really fast. And it wasn't so much that a lot of people were getting infected, it was the nature of the infection. And the fear was is that not that people were going to die in the streets of this, but that the hospitals were going to get overrun. So it was an opportunity for people to get ahead of it. It wasn't, they weren't shutting down so much to um, to stop the virus. It was it was to mitigate how many people can get sick and how many people need to go into the hospital at a time because of the nature of it. When people do have a bad reaction to this, they have to go to intensive care. They have to get on ventilators, and that takes up a lot of resources and time. And they knew they they did quick math and they're like, we do not have the resources and the ventilators to handle this if even 5% of the people need to go to the hospital for it, much less, uh, I think it was closer to 10% or half of 10, you know, you know, half of a amount of people that get it, you know, will need some sort of like respiratory help. The school district was kind of looking at options. They're like, hey, we might need to extend spring break, which is their way of saying, hey, let's give the students an extra, some extra time off. Let's, uh, let's, you know, let this thing die down. And it wasn't until the governor uh, came in and basically said, no, schools are shut down until the numbers are under control and we feel that it's safe to reopen schools. It felt very temporary. It was like, oh, we'll open the schools back up April 1st. And then a couple of days would go by and it's like, ah, let's wait till the end of April. And then in a couple more days and it's like, let's wait till May 15th. And then it became school shutdown for the rest of the year. And that came from the governor. Um, so once the governor said, no, close the schools, the administration's like, okie dokie. Well, you know, we're not going to fight the governor on this. So we need to figure out how to, how to sort this problem out, you know, within the school district. Like, are we going to teach students? Are we just going to shut down for the year? What do we do? End of spring break, 
is when a lot of that stuff started coming out on the table. And then uh, we went through this like month long period where it seemed like every day we were just getting more bad news. Like there was a, there was a period of time where it's like, I remember talking to so many teachers friends like I haven't heard any good news in a very long time. It's just like every day we woke up, it's like, Oh, here's more bad news. Or remember that bad thing that happened yesterday? Well, here's some more bad news. So it was kind of, yeah, it was a little uh, confusing and disheartening for a while. For me, when it became real was, um, I, I feel like it was March 14th. We were trying to do uh, a homemade film night at the museum and the municipality shut everything down. They said, nope, no museum, no this, no public gatherings, nothing. And so we were like, oh, well, that's a bummer, but we get why they did that. And uh, we decided to just have some of our friends over in our studio space. There's about maybe 12 of us and we were watching the film. And I think that was when I realized like, okay, this is pretty serious. Like this is, this is something that's gonna be here for a while. Uh, and then I started getting phone calls from a lot of my vendors, which I was doing freelance film for, and they were just canceling jobs left and right. So by, yeah, I went from like having my summer planned out, knew what I was going to do. And then within two days, like I didn't have school shut down and I didn't have any freelance work up until like the end of August. So it was kind of, that was, that was the big wake up call. What did you do for online learning? Like what kind of, like, how did you structure it? I was actually wondering this myself since it is such a hands-on kind of craft. The online learning aspect, we basically turned into a film, watch a film and talk about a film class, which really broke my heart. But the school district has, uh, has this policy of equity, which means that they are not going to give something out that a certain group of people can do and a certain group of people can't do. Uh, and filmmaking is extremely resource intensive. You have to have the camera equipment. Uh, you have to have computers that can keep up with the editing. Like, uh, you know, you can't do this on a Chromebook. You need something that's got some horsepower behind it. And um, I did not have the resources to fully equip my class to be able to do that on their own. And the nature of the pandemic really hampered the collaborative abilities of making films. Uh, you know this from personal experience. Anybody that's ever been on a film set knows this from personal experience. It takes a small army to make this stuff happen. Um, even you know if you're trying to do everything by yourself, you still need people in front of the camera. You still need to do all these things. And that became, uh, that became a huge liability. I could not say, hey, why don't you guys all get together in the streets and do this? Um, I didn't understand um, the, the nature and the impact of the pandemic, much less like the, the spread of like <laughs> the virus and social distancing and all that stuff. So I wasn't prepared to say like, oh yeah, if you do this, you'll be fine. And the school district was not prepared for any teacher to encourage that. It was stay away from people, stay in your little group. Don't go talk to anybody. Don't get in touch with anybody. For me to say, oh yeah, you can still make a film uh, was not very equitable. And even if I did say something like, make a film by yourself, 
Some students didn't have access to the computers needed to edit that stuff together and the cameras to edit that stuff together. Now we live in a great time because cell phones take wonderful video and pictures and there's a lot of capabilities to do that. I did not have the time or the resources to research a lot and then implement, um, implement practices in there. So that's one of the biggest problems with being a teacher, at least for me being a teacher, is I'm not going to tell you to do something if I don't understand how it works. Like, I'm not gonna say like, oh yeah, just go use this program. I need to understand that program through and through because I don't want a student running into a problem and then I'm just like, oh well, I don't know. Uh, you know, it kind of erodes the authority that I have in the class and it's just, it's just bad practice. So uh, yeah, with all the stuff that I had in the class, all the cameras, all the technology, I've worked with that stuff for hundreds of hours. I understand how it works um, you know, through and through. So when a problem does arise, I'm like, oh, well, hey, you should probably try this and this and this. We were only given like two weeks to come up with something. Um, and all of us in the arts and AV group kind of got together and we just kind of bashed out this very generic, film watch this film talk about this film kind of course the other reason we kind of took it easy with that is because we understood that the pandemic was something that a lot of us had not experienced before and it's hard for me it's hard for me to say oh it's gonna be okay when it's like i don't even know if it's gonna be okay this is all very new our priority was getting seniors the credits they needed to move on and that means core classes. And as much as I love film and audio, I also understand that is not a core curriculum class, unless you needed the English credit for it. But most seniors had already taken their English electives through other writing courses, so film was just kind of this fun thing to do. So I, me and some of the other video instructors were not in a position to be like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure they get the best. So we tried to design our program to accommodate and allow students to focus on their core classes rather than uh, be able to give them the full experience that they wanted to. Yeah, it was it was a tough it was a tough thing. Uh, I particularly I like to I like to try and push my students as far as I can as far as I think they can go. Um, but the nature of the pandemic and everything being online, I couldn't get a good read of what my students' needs were. So for me to say, go push fights. Um, it felt disingenuous so i decided I, I i decided to kind of be like i'm not i'm gonna present this stuff and as long as they turn it in you know they'll get to they'll get their grade they'll move on try to be as accommodating as i could because we try to control the environment as best as we can because homes are different homes have different rules uh they have different settings you know somebody who may have the peace and quiet and the space to actually study their homework at school may not have that at home. They may have like eight siblings running around banging on pots and stuff. So it's hard for me to impose those same uh, demands on somebody when it's like, I can't control the environment that they're in. So, and, I, and I'm, sometimes I'm not aware of the environment that they're in. Most teachers went from hearing the word canvas once to having to implement an entire course on Canvas, ready for delivery within two weeks. 
Um, and you know, as they, as they say, it's like, that's a big lift. Um, to me, that's, in, it, it's crazy. It's basically like going from driving a car to flying a helicopter in two weeks. Mistakes are going to be made and you don't fully understand all the mechanics that are going into it. I certainly didn't understand all the mechanics going into like what, how canvas works. Canvas is the program that we use to deliver uh, all of our online learning. And we're going to be going back to using Canvas this year, too, uh, to start school. So, yeah, um, it was a lot. Uh, and it was disheartening. It was disheartening at times. It was frustrating. And even the people that were skilled with Canvas, we would come to them with questions and be like, what do we do here? And they're like, don't know. Canvas is like this uh, design, you know, do the best thing you can to get around it. The last thing any teacher wanted to do during this pandemic was stress students out any more than we already, than the, than the circumstances already had. How did your um, students respond to online learning? Did you lose any students um, once we made the switch? I lost a lot of students. There were some, so some of the seniors that were taking it for fun realized that this was not going to be what the experience that they wanted to and they wanted to focus on their core classes so they within the first couple of weeks they were just like i'm out and i can't blame them for that i totally get it i was like i understand you know go do your thing if it if it had been a regular year and i had lost that many students within the first two weeks i've been like man i'm a terrible teacher something's not right um but I understood why a lot of students were shuffling their, their curriculum around and moving stuff around. Um, they wanted to give time for other classes and other focuses. Um, and with my class, what I did is I said, hey, uh, if you want to finish all this stuff off in two weeks and be done with my class, you absolutely can. Uh, they called it asynchronous learning. Uh, things that are happening, but not necessarily at the same time. So I set all my stuff up. So that basically like a student, if they started uh, on the first course on that day and they wanted to sit down and grind through it, they could finish everything and be done with my class. And it's like, write the reports, submit them, do the discussions, bam, you're done. So if somebody wanted to, if somebody was like, I'm tired of online learning, uh, they had the option to just power through, you know, for a couple of days and then be done with it. That's one of the one of the cool powers of online learning is that if you do set it up like that, you know, what should take like a whole semester, you know, if you space it out. I mean, if I wanted to, I could sit down and just power through that stuff and read and learn and submit the reports and do the tests and all that stuff and be done with it. So in that kind of sense, it's great. Um, but also in the opposite sense, it's like, you don't get the hands-on time. You don't get the experience. You don't have to toil in the salt mines of a set under hot lights, figuring stuff out, even though you've read it a million times and you're like, this is how it's supposed to be. So a lot of students weren't really thrilled with online learning. And I totally understand why, um, especially with a fun class like mine. Uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of a heartbreaker. But I did have some students, I did have some students that stuck around. I did have some students that went above and beyond and kept trying to produce their own films and make their own stuff and trying to stay involved with each other. But yeah, it's a huge priority shift for when you go to online learning because some students uh, that did have essential jobs at the time that were still working, they're like, I'm not going to your Zoom. It's like, I don't have to go to these Zoom meetings. I don't have to physically be any place. 
all I have to do is turn the work in and I graduate. It's like, I'm going to go work. And a lot of them wound up doing that, which, you know, at first I was like, cause like, I was like, has anybody heard from so-and-so? I haven't talked to so-and-so in a while. They're not returning my emails. And finally, when I catch up with them, like, yeah, I've been working from like 10 to eight o'clock every day. And it's like, when I get home, the last thing I want to do is do emails. I'm like, I get that. But just send me an email, please. Let me just tell me that stuff. Cause I do care about you guys. So yeah, it was really interesting to see um, how people's lifestyles and, and, and work habits and stuff had changed during the pandemic. Um, some people, yeah, threw themselves into their work. Um, some, some of the older students I had kind of became, became these like stay at home caretakers um, because they did have families that were working essential jobs at the time and needed to continue working it was a big, it was a big change for a lot of people. All right. So transitioning from school to kind of your more film aspect, since you are a filmmaker, do you know of any precautions that the film industry is taking since we can't be in a group of more than 10 people? Yeah. Film sets have gotten a lot smaller. Um, people are very, very mindful of social distancing. I just worked a, I just worked a shoot here last week and all film crew had to have a mask on at all times. Like we were very, very aware of that because we are going, we are new people and we're going into new spaces and we're meeting new people constantly. So we would put our masks on um, and our talent would usually have their masks on until they went in front. We actually had a hair and makeup person uh, and one of their big jobs is just making sure that people's faces and their makeup didn't get all screwed up from like putting a mask on and off all the time. Um, me personally, I worked as a location sound technician, which is a very invasive job. I have to put microphones on people. So what I would do is uh, I had to sanitize all my microphone equipment. Um, I wore latex gloves and I had a mask on and uh, I spent a little more time explaining the process of what was going on to the talent. Uh, usually as a, as a location sound tech, I would go up to him and be like, Hey, I'm so-and-so I need to put a microphone on you. Have you worn a microphone before? And usually when people haven't, they'd be like, no. And it's like, Oh, well, I'm going to walk you through this. But people that are experienced are like, have you worn a microphone before? They're like, yeah, I have. I'm like, cool. And there are some people that just like that have been in it so long it's like i'll walk up to him be like hey i'm the location sound tech and it's like before i finish my sentence their shirt is up over their head waiting to get mic'd up i was like oh okay let's do this so they like there's there's all different degrees but uh with the pandemic uh there's definitely like there's there's taking physical precautions um to make sure that i'm not spreading contamination or possibly infecting anybody else but there's also uh, the psychological effect of seeing people wearing masks, seeing people who are touching other people wearing gloves, uh, trying to keep spaces clean and, you know, being mindful of that. Even our craft services table, like we had croissants that were all wrapped up in individual Ziploc bags. Like we're very much trying to take all these precautions to uh, both physically mitigate the spread of the virus, but also to kind of help people be at ease because uh, viruses are tricky little things that you can't see. And if you don't feel like you're clean, um, that actually takes a toll on you physically. 
You know, you get stressed yourself out and you're more inclined to get sick, even if it is just like a little cold or something. And then that person gets stressed out and they get a cold and they start coughing. And what happens? Everybody's like, ah, coronavirus. So it's important also uh, to, you know, have that show. And we do a lot of that. Um, the last couple sets I've been on, masks are priority. Um, I had to sign this whole uh, pandemic document saying like, if I felt sick, uh, I needed to tell my supervisor. Um, I had to have my temperature taken every day when I got on set. They had this little IR gun that they point at your head. And they're like, oh, you, you know, we were actually having competitions. Like who could have the most normal temperature? And uh, I, I traditionally run a little bit cold. I was like, I was always like 97.2 or something like that. So, but there were other people that were like a little bit warmer. So we do that. Um, did the signing of the documents. What else was there? Did the temperature gun. But yeah, there, there are things. Um, I think I haven't been on a large set. Uh, most of the stuff I've been doing was actually like pretty, what they call uh, cinema verte, which is basically camera, shoulder, following people around. And they like to keep their crews really small. That way they're more agile and we're not getting clobbered down with like lighting setups and location controls. It's like, it's a person with a camera and maybe one support person, boom, go. Uh, this other one we did, we had a lot more people, but it, even then it's like, I think we were more apt to give each department its space rather than trying to work on top of each other. And you would think it would slow things down. Like it's like, you would think the lighting crew goes in there and set up and it's like, oh, I don't know, stars are gonna wait. But it, it wasn't that bad. Uh, we were actually very agile. We were able to work around it. I think a lot of us too are just so happy to be back on set working in any capacity that we're just like, we're like, I'll do anything. I'll climb up a tree and do backflips down it. I don't care. I'm just glad to be back. Is there anything else you wanna add regarding like school with COVID-19 or film with COVID-19? The thing, I, I guess the thing that I would tell everybody, especially like with school, is that uh, this is, this is a, this, this situation that we're in is new. And everybody is worried about making a decision that's going to either cost more human lives or cause more pain and frustration. So, um, it's important, I think it's important to practice uh, an amount of grace when going into this. Because I've, I've talked with other parents in the community and when they find out I'm a teacher, this is the first thing out of their mouth. When does school start? When does school start? And it's like, you know, school starts when I think it's safe to open the doors and make it feel like we're not going to cause harm to a bunch of people just for the sake of having school open. And it, add, and it brings up a lot of questions and concerns that we have in this country about childcare and how, how schools are treated uh, in the public eye, you know, instead of being these, you know, you know, some schools are treated like just, you know, baby mills. It's like, this is a preschool. It's a place I take the kids every day. I don't care if they're learning something. Get them out of my house between the hours of nine and five. And now that that's kind of coming back, it's like, we're, we're starting to have to answer ask ourselves some very serious questions about like whose job is it to raise kids um, and you know teachers value I mean there's a lot of people like when we first started here in the schools will open no matter what and it's like you know 
I enjoy teaching, but I am not married so tightly to the idea of a te being a teacher that I'm just going to say, okie dokie. And there's a lot of other people that have their own health concerns. Like maybe not me personally, but what about my dad, you know, who's got heart issues or what about my brother and his wife who just had a kid, you know, and there's people saying they're like, well, we don't really understand how this virus affects certain things. Why would I invite that kind of chance in? to, you know, infect other people around me. That's my biggest concern with all of this. It's like, I'm going to get this and I'm not even going to know about it changing things for him. I don't want that. I don't know anybody that wants that. Like if I get, if I get sick and I go to the hospital, it's like, well, that's on me. I, you know, probably made a mistake, but the fact that I could infect somebody close to me and change their lives irreparably that I no, that's, that's one of the biggest things that is of concern to me with school and both with being on a film set. I've worked with so many people in the Anchorage community. I love them all. They're like family to me. We're like this one big dysfunctional family that likes running around and making films. Man, if I had to, yeah, if if one of them got sick and, you know, died or was had their life changed because of it because I got infected, and I pass it on to them, that'd be tough. That That's something that's like, I think that's something that would stick with me for a very long time. And I don't wanna to have to go through that. And I don't want them to have to go through that. So this thing isn't over until we get a vaccine. And I don't care, you know, we could go out in public and take care and try to, try to do the social distancing, wearing masks and all that stuff, but it's only gonna work if we are all unified in that. I don't care what happens. I don't care how, what it takes to get through this. I just hope that we're all unified in that vision because every time somebody's like, well, I don't want to do that. Uh, you're just inviting disaster in. Those are my musings and thoughts. That was ATME senior producer, Daisy Carter, speaking with Jeremy Blake, teacher of film, audio, and video production at King Technical High School. You've been listening to Podcasts in Place, Youth Stories from Quarantine, from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost. Stay tuned for more stories from quarantined youth. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth during quarantine as part of a partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including the Anchorage Museum, United Way of Anchorage, and the Alaska Humanities Forum, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of the National Endowment for the Humanities or other sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Anchorage and help keep our podcast going, you can donate to our organization by going to alaskateenmedia.org and clicking Donate. Also, on our website, you can learn more about what our organization does, listening to past episodes of our podcast, or find out how you too can get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Riley Taylor. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll get through this together. <laughs>